0: 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Hear now the words of the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death Amen. It was a day that they had always hoped for their entire lives. It was a day that was highly anticipated for years upon years. A day for two of my really good friends back in St. Louis. Um, They're married now and they anticipated having a child one day. Nine months later, after getting pregnant, uh, that day came, and we were all so excited that little Naomi was born to my my good friends. Naomi came, and she was born after a a long and really tough um, pregnancy for mom. Naomi came, and this day was just a joyous, beautiful day. I remember getting pictures on my cell phone, and I was just so excited, texting with my boy, and um, excited for him and his wife. And then the report came that Naomi had what's called bilateral clubbed feet. Um, her feet were, instead of pointing outward the proper direction, they were pointing inward. And you can imagine how my friends felt. You can imagine the hurt after they realized what their little girl would have to go through to see a normal life. And so um, as time passed, Naomi would eventually have to get a um, cast up to her waist, from her feet to her waist, so that the doctors could slowly push her feet in the right direction. Naomi would go through multiple surgeries. She would have surgeries clipping um, her, her uh, Achilles tendons so that she could have her feet shifted in the proper direction. You know what? Why? Why in the world would parents who love their children say yes to a surgery that would be incredibly uncomfortable, to a surgery um, that would be painful for their little girl? Why in the world would parents say yes to hurting their little girl? You know why? It's because they saw what was on the other side. They 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 realized that. After that pain, there would be something glorious on the other side for their little girl. See, what they realized is that on the back end of that pain, there was some purpose. They knew there was some purpose. That's the only reason why two parents who dearly love their only daughter could say yes to inflicting pain and some uncomfortability to their daughter. Um, Naomi is four years old now, and she is a fireball. She's a ball of joy. Naomi walks. Not only does she walk after being a late walker, um, Naomi runs. Uh, She jumps. She is so extremely excited about life. How in the world could that happen? Mom and dad saw purpose in pain. Um, mom and dad said yes to allowing their little girl to go through some pain because they saw what was on the other side of that pain. They saw the purpose in it. Do you hear me this morning? That's the only reason why they could say yes to it. And now they have an excited, a joyous, active, vibrant, four-year-old, beautiful daughter. And what we will see in this text this morning, in 2 Corinthians, that's exactly what we will see. We will see a guy named Paul pinning to his church in 2 Corinthians, writing this letter to them. And what Paul is doing is he is allowing us to come face to face with his idea of there being purpose in pain. The idea that there is a purpose behind suffering. And we get to see that in this letter this morning. So this morning, uh, I want to speak to you from the subject, the purpose of pain, but before we jump in, let's pray. God thank you. And God um, just remember last week, uh, when I was at home studying for my sermon and um, just wrestling with the text, um, I remember you know just talking to you about it and. Even talking to my mom about it, and um, she just said, Son, um, you can study all you want, but pray for the anointing of God. And so God, this morning, that's what I pray for. (laughs) Um, I pray for your anointing. That's not something that's mystical. I pray at this specific time um, that you would give specific favor, that, that we would hear your word and it would impact our hearts and lead us to change, oh God. But that we would resolve this morning, God, to believe you and to trust you and also to endure. Would you send your anointing for that purpose this morning, God? Give us a special dose of it. Father, this morning we trust your spirit to be among us. We trust your spirit to go to work, O God, and to remind us and to convict us and to change us. So, Father, I pray as John the Baptist prayed that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase in me, Father. Um, Have your way. Lord, I'm not good enough, not smart enough, but would you use me anyway? To speak to your people. I'll be faithful to give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I think we are in a great place this morning. 2 um, Corinthians is actually a letter Paul wrote um, to the church of Corinth. And Paul wrote this letter to teach. He wrote it to encourage. He also wrote this letter um, to challenge uh, the church of Corinth. And this is a very interesting, um, place, Corinth is. It was a kind of place in which believers in Jesus, they endured, they experienced much persecution for believing in Jesus. They, they experienced much pain, they experienced much hardship. The church of Corinth was also, it was a mixed bag. Um, it was a mixed bag in the sense that um, the Church of Corinth had people who really did believe in Jesus and uh, they were faithful to Jesus, but also it had people uh, in the church whose sole purpose w- were to dismantle the purposes of God, um, whose sole purpose was to thwart the plan and the mission and the gospel that Paul came to declare and preach, so it was this this mixed bag, I think we may have the same kind of church here this morning. Everybody here may, may not have a heart to, to know Jesus. But you know what? Paul resolved to teach anyway. He, he resolved to change anyway. And to, to pursue holiness um, through effectively preaching the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. So that's exactly um, what we're going to do. Before we... Hit and jump in this morning. I want to give you something directly before our passage. Look at verse six, chapter four. Look at verse six with me. Here's what it says. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the reason why I can point you to any kind of hope this morning is because God gifted us in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to be clear this morning. The reason why any of this matters is because God put himself on display by sending Jesus. This is why Jesus is set apart from anyone else. See, Jesus is distinct because like no other person, He is the only person that can connect us with the Father. John 14:6 made it clear. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. This is why Jesus is different than any other person who walked the face of the earth. Is because he is the only person by which we can get to the Father. He's the only person. So let me just pause right here this morning and say, if you do not believe in Jesus, it is not your good works. It's not how strong you think you might be. It's not your intellect or the degrees you may have. It's not the amount of money you have or don't have. You only can get to the Father. You can only have a relationship with the Father through Jesus. He's the one you ought to have your faith in. So that's, that. before we go any further, nothing else matters if you don't hear the reality that if your hope is not in Jesus, you have no hope at all. It's Him. It's Him that God chose to display His magnificent, His beautiful glory through, through the face of Jesus Christ. He chose to do that. And so without Jesus, there is no salvation. Without Jesus, there is no other way. You need Him. You need to hope in Him, believe in Him, and rest in Him. Then Paul tells us in verse 7 that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I love how Paul put this. He refers to the people of God as jars of clay. By doing this, Paul is putting things in pers- in perspective. See, in antiquity, jars of clay or clay pots or, or, or vessels, they were cheap, they were breakable, they were replaceable, and they were virtually valueless. So Paul makes this incredible distinction. He says, we have this treasure... In jars of clay. So Paul says, uh, let you not be deceived. Um, I'm not the person, nor you. We don't have value in ourselves, but the value comes from God. He says, the treasure, what he's intending for us to get is, the treasure that we have in these replaceable, these valueless pottery jars is Jesus Christ. Paul says, we have a treasure. See, without that treasure, what do you have? You have, without that treasure, you, you only have just um, a, a, a pot uh, or a, a clay, just valueless. It, it means nothing. It's replaceable. It's breakable. But Paul says, we have something that is a treasure. You don't give up a treasure. Without a treasure, we... Or nothing. One of the things Paul is teaching us here is that we ought to 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 live from the place of when pain we ought to live from the place of when pain comes not if pain comes. So in this text, one of the things Paul is teaching us is we ought to live from the place of when pain comes not if pain comes. Look at what Paul says in verse 8 through 10. Look at it with me. He says, "We are afflicted in every way he says, we, we're, we're perplexed. He says, we're, we're persecuted. We're, we're struck down. And look, at, look down at verse 10. He says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Paul says, we have some issues. And we're hearing from a man that has experienced much. We're hearing from a man who's been shipwrecked. We're hearing from a man who's been left for dead. We're hearing from a man who's been beaten multiple times. They've pursued him to kill him and to take his life. We're hearing from a man who knows much suffering. We're hearing from a man who who knows much pain. I mean, I'm not sure there is any person um, that has experienced much more pain and suffering than the Apostle Paul. I'm not sure of that. I'm, saying, I'm not sure there's a person who's experienced worse. In fact, if you probably went to the dictionary and you looked up worse, there'd probably be a picture of the Apostle Paul. I mean, this dude has experienced an extreme amount of persecution in his life. And I think what he is showing us in his, this, his letter to the church of Corinth, it's not if you suffer, it's When? Because it's, if it's not there, it's coming. Just keep on living. It's not if, but it's when. What Paul is saying is that pain, suffering, and disappointment will come. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, verse 36, he said, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, suffering is a way of life for me. This is who I am. This, this is what I do. This is what happens to me. It's coming. Because we live in a broken and a fallen world, which means we live in a world which every part is affected by sin. See, because we live in a world that every part is, ex- is affected by sin, we ought to expect suffering. Because we live in a broken world. See, sin entered the world through, through Adam, and our union with God has been disrupted, and the peace that was one, once known has been broken, and that brokenness breeds disappointment. That, that, that brokenness breeds pain. That, that brokenness breeds suffering. So, Paul has no problem acknowledging that. One of the things about Paul is that he is honest about his suffering, and we see this in this text. He's not attempting to avoid his hardships or to push anything under the rug. Paul comes through the front door. He says, We're, we're distressed. Uh, we're, we're hurt pretty badly. We're confused and we've been thrown down. We ought to expect suffering. One of the things I love about this is that Paul consistently uses the first person plural. Paul says things like, we are afflicted and we who live are given over to death. Um, it, it, he says um, in this, we work, it, this work in, in us And I think Paul is pointing to this aspect of community in pain and suffering. He says, we suffer our uh, suffering. We go through this. We, us, our. And Paul is speaking to community. He's saying, we are in this together. He's, He's saying, you don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to go through the pain that you suffer alone. There is a body of believers who love Jesus like you do, and you do not have to suffer alone. You know, um, one of the crazy things is, is, man, the enemy would love to um, kill, steal, and destroy. That's his complete purpose, is to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the best ways he can do that is in isolation. One of the best ways he can get us and to to work to devour us is by getting us by ourselves and doing a number on us. Late at night, we're we're suffering and we ought to pick up the phone and call somebody, but we won't. We ought to pick up the phone and call somebody to to pray with us or or to encourage us, but we're going to do it alone and, and in isolation, that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. See, what Paul is saying is, he's saying, Church of Corinth, we're in this together. We are a family. You don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to experience this pain and the things that you go through alone. You have to do it by yourself. Um, One of the things that's crazy, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from St. Louis. Um, And so, the crazy thing is, when I got to Memphis, there was this beverage that was served breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, there was this brev- beverage that no matter where I went, it was there. I'm talking about, I don't care if I went to um, the, 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 the best home in East Memphis, or if I was in the project somewhere, this beverage was there. <laughs> this beverage um, uh, doesn't know race. Huh? Uh, This beverage does not know social class. Everywhere I went, it was there no matter what kind of meal, the nicest meals or, you know, a little hole in the wall spot. This beverage was there and you know exactly what I'm thinking. Sweet tea. It it was not about um, if it would be there. It it was going to be there. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The question wasn't about if. It was about whether it was sweet enough or not. Whether I needed to add more sugar or not. That's what Paul is saying. It's not about if. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Paul is saying it's not about if the suffering would happen. He's saying when. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Secondly, in our pain and suffering, we ought to be pointing toward Jesus and not away from Him. In our pain and suffering, we ought to be, we ought to be pointing toward Jesus and not away from Him. Look at verses uh, 10 through 11. Paul says, Always caring in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See, one of the major ways we declare to the world that something is different about us is through the way that we show them how we suffer. One of the ways that we declare that we really do believe in Jesus and we, we really do trust him is when all hell breaks loose, how we suffer. That's how we show them that we love him. That's how we show them that he means the world to us is when when the bottom falls out, what happens? When things go bad, what 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 happens? The aftermath of the divorce. How do you handle it? Um, the doctor's report comes in um, and it's negative. What, what's, what's your response going to be? You've got that wayward child and, and you've been praying and praying for them and they just will not listen and doesn't seem like God's going to capture their heart. When, when all of the stuff goes wrong, when you experience rejection... When the relationship doesn't work out and you thought that it would, what do you do? How do you respond? So Paul is saying here that it matters. That response matters. John MacArthur uh, says that believers' suffering is a purposeful sacrifice of the power of God being unleashed in their lives. Suffering is the power of God being unleashed in your life. Um, the great 20th century writer C.S. Lewis, he wrote a little small piece called A Grief Observed. And I love this book because it's the reflections on the death, of, um, the death of his wife who had cancer. And um, he, he basically published um, his diary after his wife died. Listen to this. Your bid for God or no God, for a good God or a cosmic sadist, for eternal life or non-entity, will not be serious if nothing much is staked on it. And you will never discover how serious it was until the stakes are raised horribly high. Until you find that you are playing not for counters or for sixpences, but for every penny you have in this world. Nothing less will shake a man. Or at any rate, a man like me, out of his merely verbal thinking and his mere, merely notion, uh, notional beliefs, he has to be not silly before he comes to his senses. Only torture will bring out the truth. Only under torture does he discover it himself. See what he's saying? Only under suffering will you discover what you really believe. Only under torture... Will you discover who you really are in God? Let's bring it home. Only if the relationship doesn't work out and you're disappointed and and you feel rejected, will you really figure out, do you believe Jesus like you thought you did? Only if maybe the marriage didn't work out. The marriage is in shambles. Will you really believe that you trust God like you thought you trusted God. Only if the doctor's report is And tears are running down your face because you don't know what to do. And there may not seem to be a cure. The torture of that. Then. Will you know. If you really believe. If, if you really trust him. I have a close friend who's um, a pastor in Texas, and um, he was telling me the other day um, how he got a call in the the wee hours of the morning um, as he was dropping another friend off um, at the airport in Texas. He got a call early in the morning, and um, it's some friends that he had been pastoring, a young couple, um, and they said, we need you to come to the hospital right away. And so my buddy, um, he said, man, I... Um, I know this was the hand of God that I was even driving my friend to the... Because I wouldn't have heard the phone otherwise. And so he rushed to the hospital, he and his wife did. And when he got there, he realized that the husband of this young couple that they've been loving on and pastoring um, was dying. 26 years old. Um, When he was 14, he had a heart transplant and everybody on the floor when he was a young teenager who had a heart transplant where they were younger than him, um, they all had already died. Every last one of them. And so here he is. He had lived longer than any of the kids uh, that he got a heart transplant along with. And here he is in the hospital with his wife of, get this, a year. 26 years old. Heart is failing. And my friend said he and his wife stood outside um, the door when they pulled the valve out of his heart that was supporting him. And they heard the the wailing of uh, this widowed 26-year-old woman. Um, and my friend said they could do nothing but cry with her. They could do nothing but pray with her and um, just be there for her. They had... No words to comfort the pain and the hurt. But he said at the funeral, one of the things that struck him and that he noticed was the, the fierce faith of this widowed woman. Um, here she is just losing her, her husband of a year at 26 years old. She's encouraging other people. She's she's praying for other people. She's putting her arm around uh, the family of this young man who had just passed away. How in the world could that happen? Because when the torture came, she realized that her foundation was made of rock and not sand. She realized that though she loved her husband to no end, she realized that her hope was not in her husband, but it was in Jesus. And you could say, Chris, what? how can you say that? Maybe maybe you hadn't experienced a death in that way. I know Jesus. And I would challenge you to believe in Him and to trust in Him, even when the circumstances are grand. See, when the torture comes, when the pain, when the suffering comes, we we really find out what we're made of. That's what this woman found out. Lastly, in our pain, believers understand that this world is not our home. Look at verses 14, and then we'll jump down to verses 16 through 18. Look at it with me. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Jump down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love this. You know why? This puts a smile on my face. Because we are not without hope, church. This encourages me because God hasn't allowed us to suffer He hasn't allowed us to experience pain. He hasn't allowed us to experience rejection and to experience disappointment without giving us the promise to hold on to. He hasn't allowed us to endure those things. See, one of those promises is that we will one day enjoy the presence of God with Jesus. We will be raised by our God, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give in because what you're experiencing now will not last forever. I know it's hard to see at times when you're in the middle of a proverbial storm or even a literal storm. It's hard to see. But what Paul says is this is only momentary. This body is wasting away and we have a far greater hope. And that's presence with the glory of God through Jesus. We have a hope. We have something to cling to. Yes, it, it hurts and it's painful to, to suffer things that we suffer on this earth. But it's only temporary family. It's temporary. It will not last forever. So don't give in. Those hardships won't last for a lifetime. See, all that we experience on this earth is, it's temporary. And yes, our, our physical bodies, they're wasting away, but it's only temporary. This world is not your home. And so, for those who have their hope in, in Jesus... Those who trust in Jesus, you have something eternal to look forward to. But for those who have not hoped or trusted in Jesus, what do you have to look forward to? If you haven't put your hope in yourself, you know what that means? It means you are your functional Savior. You are your own God, in essence, if your hope is not in Jesus. What do you have to look forward to? What's on the other end of this temporary life for you? You have to ask yourself that question. Let me give you some Bible for this. Romans 8, 8, 8 18. Look at it with me. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 with me. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Look at verses uh, Romans 8, verse 35 through 39 with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our hope this morning. That no matter what we suffer, no matter how much pain we experience in this temporary life, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, no pain, no, no hardship, no disappointment can separate us from the love of Christ. We have something to look forward to in Jesus Christ. I was in a shop a few days ago. And um, if you know anything about the, the, the black man's barbershop, um, man, it's, it's the black man's country club, you know. That's what it is. It's... Um, The barbershop is a very interesting place. It is um, kind of the hub for um, everything conspiracy theory-like. You know what I'm saying? Um, Everybody has an idea on the president or or the Illuminati or everybody has an idea about something. So the other day I was sitting in the barbershop um, in the back just... uh, chilling waiting for my turn and this guy he's you know um, getting trimmed up he's sitting in one of the barber chairs um, and somehow the conversation is usually sports but it got to religion this particular week um, and uh everybody's talking about kind of uh their 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 world views in a sense and this guy blurts out i don't believe in no no god i i believe in the sun god and I'm like, dude, what the what in the world? What's your grandmama been teaching you? My God, I, I thought this was I thought this was the Bible belt. He said, I believe in the sun god. I don't believe in any other god. And then he went on to say, and I don't believe in heaven either. The loudest guy in the barbershop, mind you. I don't believe in heaven. Um, I believe after we die, we go into the ground, and that's it. I said, I said, man, what? Who created this sun god? Can give me an answer for that? He said, but I don't care what you say. I I don't believe in no god. I believe in the sun god, and I believe that when we go into the ground. That's it for us. Paul would beg to differ. Paul would beg to differ. He would say that there is something uh, more eternal that we have to look forward to. Paul would say, brother, you are wrong because we have been shown a glimpse of um, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have to look forward to him this day when we will be raised with Jesus by the same one who raised him. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. So yes, uh, we experience pain and we experience this temporary suffering, but it won't last forever, Paul says. This light and this momentary affliction. It won't last forever. You have one who you can hope in. But the reality is, if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, you hope in yourself. See how that works out for you. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I don't care what your mom and them told you. But the only way to the Father is through me. Trust in Him today. Believe in Him today. Have you come to the point at which you've said, I trust you, Jesus, for my salvation, for, for my life, for, and for my hope? If you haven't, you can do that. Right where you sit, you can do that. You can pray to Him and talk to Him in the quietness of your own heart. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my brokenness and my sin. Would you receive me just as I am? Would you forgive me? Would you you clean me up? Would you justify me? Would you declare me righteous? You can know Jesus today. Let's pray. Great God, thank you, Father, that our pain and our suffering won't last forever. Thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever, God, Um, and you showed us that through the face of your Son Jesus. How he stayed on the cross, how he died, oh God. He submitted himself to death, he was buried, and he was raised again on the third day. Thank you, Lord God. That if we believe in those realities, we can know you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.